Howdy everybody. I hope everybody is having a great week um, wherever you're from, especially here in the great state of Texas. So uh, welcome to Once Upon a Time in Texas. This is podcast number <clears throat> six. Sorry, the uh, allergies are kicking up pretty bad, so I'll probably clear my throat a little bit, although my mother says she hates it, but you know, it is what it is. It's my podcast, mom. So sorry for clearing my throat. So, for those of y'all that didn't know, March is Women's History Month. And just to give a little uh, uh, history on that, this started about 50 years ago as International Women's Day. And it was held on March 8th, 1969. In February 1980, President Jimmy Carter issued a presidential proclamation declaring the week of March 8th, 1980 as National Women's History Week. So this was a big deal. This gains a lot of popularity and in 1987, the National Women's History Project petitions Congress to make a National Women's History Month, which is now March of each year. So why do I bring this up? Well, I mean, I heard about some very interesting ladies in history um, the other day on the news and I kind of figured, you know what, why not talk about some famous Texas women? So, uh, before we get into that, I would like to say, uh, this podcast is put together by me, Michael Mitchell, right here in the big city of Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, I do this just to share a little history and, uh, fun, interesting facts of myth, lore, legend, and characters of the great state of Texas. So that's why I called it Once Upon a Time in Texas. Uh, it is sponsored by my company, which is Miracle Mortgage. Um, you can find me at themichaelmitchell.com. And so if you're hearing this and you're looking to buy a home here in Texas, uh, you're looking to move to Texas and buy a home, or maybe you already live in Texas and you just want to buy another, well, hot dang, you have found the spot. Give me a shout at themichaelmitchell.com and I'll see what I can do for you. So first off, since we're talking about uh, women here in Texas specifically, first I'll, I'll tip my hat to my mortgage broker, the, the lady that kind of got me into the business uh, and the owner of Miracle Mortgage, um, of who I'm associated with, obviously, Miss Debbie Dobbins. Um, she's the one that talked me into this whole mortgage stuff, and I'm really having a good time with it. Um, and I, I just really like helping people get a house of their own. And so, Debbie, although uh, you weren't raised here in Texas, you are actually raised in California. You've lived here in Texas for a long time. And so for that and kind of driving me a little bit um, to do this fun and interesting job and help people out, I tip my hat to you. So there you go. There's the shout out. And let's do a few more here. So let's talk about some of these uh, famous Texas women. Now there's tons of them. Tons of famous Texas women. Just tons of famous people from Texas period. But a few that a lot of people will know um, are folks like Janis Joplin, who was born in Port Arthur, Texas. Um, who sang lots of famous songs, but the one I always remember is the one where it's just kind of her doing the, uh, 
Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Anyway, I always sing along with that song when I hear it. Uh, Dale Evans of Uvalde, who was married to the famous Roy Rogers, and uh, she's actually the writer of the song, Happy Trails to You Until We Meet Again. Sorry, guys, it's really late, so my singing voice isn't working right now. Uh, Selena, who a lot of folks know, uh, of Lake Jackson, Texas. Famous country singer Miranda Lambert of Lindale. I just love her. I like a lot of her songs. She's really good. Uh, Beyonce from uh, down in Houston. Good old Tanya Tucker of Seminole. And of course, if any of y'all hear this or if any of y'all know these famous people, man, give them a shout out. Tell them this little chunky bearded guy in Wichita Falls, Texas has a podcast and just happened to say something about him. You know, shoot it on to him. And tell him, hey, check it out. Give your guy a shout out. So uh, to add to a few more, and of course, if you know any of these people, people, tell them the same thing. Actress Jennifer Love Hewitt is from Waco. She's the one I know what you did last summer, and I still know what you did last summer. Those are kind of the big ones, but she's done a lot of stuff over the years. Um, another actress that I just love, she's been good in everything I've ever seen, is Renee Zellweger of Katy, Texas. She uh, is kind of famous for the movie Jerry Maguire and also the Bridget Jones Diaries. Um, we also have Michelle Rodriguez of San Antonio. She's well known for uh, the Fast and Furious movies, um, all whatever they're up to now, 600 or something, um, which I love them all. Michelle Rodriguez, if you hear this, love, love, love those movies. And, you know, tell our boy Vin Diesel I said howdy. Uh, we also have uh, Jennifer Garner of Houston, who played Electra in Daredevil and a bunch of other stuff. She is an amazing actress. Love it. But we also have some uh, other kind of lesser-known um, famous women. Uh, we have some scientists like Lorene Rogers of Prosper, who was a biochemist and was one of the first women to teach biochemistry in the nation. And it was here in Texas. Uh, we also have Eleanor Young of Houston, who was a PhD in nutrition. So she was a nutritionist and she was a scientist who did a lot of studies and found a, a lactose or a lactase, I'm not sure, deficiency in Hispanic people. And so I, I looked into that a little bit and it looked like some really interesting research, probably something I'm going to go check in some more. Uh, another one, Ginger Carrick of El Paso was the first female Hispanic flight director at NASA. I mean, man, holy smokes. What a fantastic group of people. And those were just to name a few. Guys, I had hundreds of people to look at. And so, of course, again, if you know any of these fine people, you know, send them on the link to my podcast. I'd love to hear from them. Uh especially Ginger Carrick of El Paso. Man, I, I love NASA. I've got some friends at NASA. I used to teach science um, in middle school, and so uh, had some friends down at NASA that used to send me uh, calendars every year, and I loved it because these big boxes would come in, and on the side it would say ISS Planner. <laughs> Obviously, uh, ISS at NASA stands for International Space Station, 
and ISS in school stands for in school suspension. And so I would leave those out up on the countertops in my science lab <laughs> that I had. And the kids were always very uh, confused and would wonder. And I would usually leave them out for about a month in these boxes with these huge stamps on the side that said ISS planner. <laughs> and I would make all the kids worry. Um, what exactly is Mr. Mitchell doing with this many ISS planners? <laughs> so, all right, well, let's talk about some historical female figures in Texas history. I mean, man, I got to tell y'all, I, I spent a lot of time researching this stuff. I mean, my gosh, there there's so many cool things, uh, cool ladies back there in history to, to really look at. So, you know what? Let's just go ahead and jump into it on this March 8th, 2023 you know, March 8th was the original Texas, or not Texas, sorry. <sighs> this, this was the first big uh, women's history day um, way, way back in 1969. And so, yeah, I found it kind of interesting that, you know, March 8th would hit perfect for my podcast, so why the heck not? So first of all, let's start with Susanna Dickinson. Does anybody know who that is? I'm sure there's a few folks out there. She is considered the Lady of the Alamo. She was said to be the only Anglo survivor of the Battle of the Alamo, which was a terrible ordeal, as most of you probably know. And uh, I, I didn't realize, I mean, I've read some books about it. I didn't realize the siege was like, really, it was two weeks long. I mean, we hear about the big battle, but um, it was more, I mean, I, I just, I guess I'd forgotten. Yeah, so two weeks, I mean, you know, the Mexican army and the, the defenders of the Alamo are, you know, fighting back and forth and lobbing stuff at each other, you know, with cannons and things. And <clears throat> anyway, she's there. The lady of the Alamo, Susanna Dickinson. Um, she witnesses all of this. She and her daughter were actually brought into the Alamo for safety, ironically, which I guess was kind of a bad move on her husband's part, but... Um, I guess, you know, I mean, he was doing what he thought was the right thing. Um, after the battle, she was found in the powder magazine and was later interviewed by our good old buddy Santa Ana and then uh, sent her on to Gonzales to inform other Texans not to resist and to tell them what happened at the Alamo. So, really, um... I guess she was pretty upset about her husband dying in the Alamo because it said that rather than giving a note of warning to the other Texans, she gave a battle cry for all Texans to rally and fight. Um, so I guess it was a bad move on Santa Ana's part <laughs> to let her go. Anyway, um, her daughter Angelina also survived the Alamo and she was later called the babe of the Alamo. It's interesting though that Santa Ana wanted to adopt baby Angelina and Susanna refused. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know why they didn't really go into a lot of details why he wanted to adopt her, but um, anyway, Susanna refused. And the most interesting part for me is this. And so for any of my buddies um, from back home are listening, back home, Henrietta, Clay County, Texas, Susanna Dickinson was not really left destitute or penniless after all this. Um, you know, her husband's service, she received a donation of 640 acres um, for her and her husband's service at the Alamo. 
and then later received a bounty warrant for 1900 and, and a bounty warrant. I'm not exactly sure what that is. I, I assume that's kind of like a warranty deed now. But she received a bounty warrant for 1920 acres of land in, you guessed it, Clay County, Texas. That's where I grew up and where my parents still live. So I just think that's really fascinating. What an interesting lady. Um, next, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Angelina Eberly. So this lady was a real pistol, um, it appears. Um, during what has been called the Archive War, Sam Houston had ordered all of the state archives to be moved to Houston to, you know, keep them out of the hands of the Mexican army um, that had taken over San Antonio and Goliad and Victoria already. So Angelina Eberly sees this happening and, you know, does she get out a pistol or a musket or go wave a knife around? Heck no. She runs over and finds the local six-pound cannon and, you know, fires a shot across the bow <laughs> at, at these guys who were, you know, taking the archives under, you know, under orders. Um, she got really upset. And so this alerts other citizens and they, they quickly go out and, you know, they give Sam Houston's guys the boot, you know, the old what for, and they give them the boot. They take the archives back somewhere around Brushy Creek in nearby Williamson County, and they return all the archives to, uh, well, shoot, you know what? It didn't specify if it was Austin. I'm not sure. No, I mean, uh, Washington on the Brazos, I think, was, I don't know. Man, Texas history, you can get kind of lost in it. But, you know, long story short, I mean, this lady, she could have gone out, waved her hands around, said, no, stop, or waved a knife or a musket. Heck no. She grabs hold of a freaking cannon and is like, pachoo, you know, shooting the, the giant freedom seed across these guys. Scared the crap out of my I assume. And, uh, you know, really, honestly, I just kind of want to go out and shoot a cannon now. So, yeah. So if anybody out there that listens to this has a cannon, um, hook me up. So, all right, let's go on to the next one before I start thinking about cannons more. Let's talk about the mother of Texas. That's right, folks, the mother of Texas. Her name was Jane Long. And although she wasn't born in Texas, um, she gets this moniker, mother in Texas. Uh, she actually moved here from Mississippi. She was one of the earliest pioneers and is believed to be one of the first English-speaking women to give birth to a child in Texas. So there you go, um, the mother of Texas. So she and her husband, James, they lived near um, Bolivar Point, um, kind of near Galveston. And her husband, James, went off to fight for independence from Spain. And, uh, you know, while others are evacuating, she stayed and and she has a statement that was written down that says my husband left me here to wait for him and i shall stay until he returns isn't that nice like she stays put she's not going to run around all over the countryside but unfortunately he never returns he was killed in mexico city and so later she moved to brazoria and open a, a very prosperous boarding house, which is kind of a big thing for the day. And it is said that Stephen F. Austin himself 
gave his impassioned speech calling all Texans to war at this boarding house. So that's kind of an interesting lady. Sounds like, uh, I, I like the, the mother of Texas moniker. That's very cool. I wonder if she ever knew she was called that. That's kind of one of those, you, you wish you had a time machine. You could just go back and, you know, just go, hey, Jane Long, did, did you know that you're called the mother of Texas? Just see what she says. Um, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe she, uh, I doubt she knew Angelina, but maybe she'd just turn her six-pound cannon around on you and, you know, say, get out of here, doofus. All right, so next we're going to talk about some humanitarians. So Clara Driscoll and Adina De Zavala. So both of these ladies are credited for saving the Alamo. Uh, and this is a really interesting story. There's a great book out called Forget the Alamo. And it really gives you a much better perspective. Um, you know, I've, I've got a good friend here. She's a history teacher with my wife um, here in Wichita Falls. And um, she did say, you know, you realize the Alamo was like, as far as military goes, was a was a huge defeat. It was a huge failure. And we celebrate it. And, uh, you know, she's right. I never thought about it that way. Uh, the Alamo really is kind of a sacred cow here in Texas. You really just don't mess with the Alamo. Um, but really, it had fallen into disrepair. And uh, these two ladies, Clara Driscoll and Adina De Zavala, um, both kind of brought around a lot of support to save this historical structure. Um, Clara, Dis uh, Clara Driscoll is credited as being the savior of the Alamo, but really both ladies made it happen. Um, they weren't particularly fond of each other um, after some time, like they... Uh, from what I remember, De Zavala really kind of wanted to take it in one direction. Clara Driscoll just kind of wanted to make it a kind of a socialite club, from my understanding. Um, but, I mean, long story short, they were both really able to keep a large part of the Alamo grounds from being sold to a, a grocery store. They kind of wanted to knock everything, everything down and build it there. Um, it's a really interesting story. Clara Driscoll ended up putting a lot of her own money into saving it. That was kind of the big deal. So she put a lot of the money into saving the Alamo and really the grounds that it was on because it was uh, significantly larger um, than what you currently go down and see. So, uh, all right. So let's talk about this other interesting lady. So overall athlete, Mildred Ella Babe Didrikson Zaharias. What a name. Um, but shorten that up to just Babe. She went by Babe a lot. She was also known as the Amazing Amazon, Belting Babe, the Texas Tomboy, and the Texas Babe. Sorry if you guys can hear the click, click, click in the background. That's my wife's dog who's decided to get up and walk around. Anyway, so this lady was really cool. Like, I read a lot about her. So she really excelled in every sport that she went into. Um, she was an All-American player in 1930, 31, and 32. But really, like, she receives this legendary status when she won two gold medals and a silver medal in the 1932 Olympics. So afterwards, I mean, she played everything, apparently, in high school. I mean, basketball, volleyball, golf, track. I mean, and just basically just blew the doors off everybody. And so, you know, after the 1932 Olympics, she decides to go and start breaking records in golf. And... You know, she ends up winning a whole bunch of big opens like the Texas Women's Open and stuff like that. And 
<clears throat> she was later ended up, uh, uh, they decided for some reason, I, I didn't find why, uh, this, it was decided she was ineligible to play. Who knows? Um, but I think the cool, the cool thing is that she wins a whole bunch of these big opens, you know, these big golf tournaments. And then later she receives the Associated Press Female Athlete of the Year. Now that would be in a, you know, that would be impressive in and of itself, right? I mean, Female Athlete of the Year, holy spokes. But did this lady do it once? Heck no. Man, in Texas, we go big or we go home. This lady was named Athlete of the Year not once, but six stinking times. Holy smokes. And she is still touted as one of the best athletes overall, male or female, of all time. Um, really interesting. I'm probably going to try to pick up a book about her and read about her because I'm not really into sports, but wow. I mean, she just sounds like somebody would be interesting to read about. So uh, next, um, so yeah, this, there's this lady named Mary Kay Ash. Does that sound familiar? Well, absolutely. You know, it's none other than Mary Kay of uh, cosmetics fame. So she had worked in the corporate world um, down around DFW. Didn't really like it much. Wanted to focus on her sales career. And she, you know, so she, she gets out of what she's doing. She decides to sit down and write a book. You know, I mean, what, what better way to get your information out there? She writes a book about her experience in the business world. And after she's done writing the book, she looks at it and goes, you know what? I've created this, this blueprint on how to run a whole new business. And then, uh, you know, she just decides, you know what? I can run this. I, I can really do this business model. I just need a product. So she's talking to a friend or acquaintance of hers who had developed a line of lotions and creams and uh, with with Mary Kay Ash's life savings of $5,000, um, she bought the formula for these lotions and creams and just runs with it. And obviously we all know and love Mary Kay. Um, I'm sure that we all know somebody that sells Mary Kay. Um, I still know people that sell Mary Kay and I don't even use it. Uh, I probably ought to, but everybody tells me that I've got a face for radio, so I don't worry about makeup too much, um, or really ever. But anyway, this is crazy. Today, the Mary Kay company has over a half a million independent beauty consultants and is sold in 29 countries worldwide. I mean, my gosh. You got to you think about coming from humble beginnings. I mean, five thousand dollars to pff, who knows? Mary Kay's probably worth you know at least a little bit more than that, I guess. So I mean, I just I found that really cool because I'd heard about Mary Kay, you know, all my life growing up, and I I just never put two and two together. I mean, man, she's just she's from right here in Texas. It's really cool. So this next lady I want to talk about is a lady named Carrie Marcus. So she started her career as a blouse buyer, which I didn't know was a thing. I, I guess it was. So she's a blouse buyer and saleswoman. And in 1905, she marries a guy by the name of Abraham Lincoln, but he went by Al. And his last name is Neiman. That's right, folks. We're talking about Neiman Marcus. 
So uh, they ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia for a while, and they opened up this sales promotion business with her brother, Carrie Marcus's brother, um, which apparently just goes gangbusters. And so after two years of running this uh, promotion business, um, they sell the business for $25,000. So they decide Georgia's not really for them. And so they head back to Dallas and they open what they call a new fashion center for Southern women that would be a store of quality and superior values. And I told my mother about this and so Mom, if you're listening, I hope you laugh a little bit, but we were having this discussion about this and she said, oh my gosh, Neiman Marcus, man, what a, you know, what a place. It was so cool. And, uh, and that when you needed something high quality, expensive, but high quality and very classy, you went to Neiman Marcus. So, so quick segue in this. Um, I had, actually my dad had an international scout. Now, what, now I'm sure you guys are thinking, you know, what the heck is, is Mike talking about here? What does an international scout have to do with Neiman Marcus? Well, you know, hang on a second. So my dad has this 77 international scout. They, by the way, in psychiatry or psychology, whatever, they call this noodling where you jump from one thing to another. So just stick with me. So my dad has this international scout and he decides he needs to sell it. And I'd moved back here to Wichita Falls and I brought the, I brought the thing in and I have it up for sale. And this guy who's working on a, a big water project, reverse osmosis water project here in Wichita Falls, he stops and he says, Hey, you know, would you, you know, how much do you want for it? And I told him, I don't remember what it was. And, uh, he, uh, he says, well, okay, I don't have that kind of money right now. And so he goes to pull away and then he stops and backs up and he goes, Hey, would you trade for a 1989 Mercedes Benz 300, whatever? Like it, it was a stupid, nice car. And I said, man, I don't, I don't think so. And he said, well, how about the Mercedes Benz and some cash? And I said, well, man, tell me, what is the deal on this Mercedes Benz? And he said, well, my mother has had this Mercedes Benz since it was brand new. It has never been out of Dallas County. And uh, yeah, she just, she got to looking one day because she worked at Neiman Marcus and had, I guess, most of her life, from my understanding. And uh, she worked there, and the car was just used to drive from home to Neiman Marcus and back. And she gets to looking around one day. Of course, this was like in 2005. But she gets to looking around one day, I guess, early, you know, early 2000s, and decides, man, all my friends are driving, you know, Jaguars and Porsches and stuff. And so she gives the uh, Mercedes-Benz to her son and says, do what you want to with it. <laughs> and so... But anyway, that's my segue into a Neiman Marcus. That is my only relation to Neiman Marcus was uh, I, I traded an international scout for a Mercedes-Benz and some cash. Uh, and the Mercedes-Benz was only ever driven back and forth and back and forth to Neiman Marcus there in Dallas. <clears throat> so there you go. Next, let's jump into politician Miriam Amanda Ma Ferguson. This lady, I mean, wow. There was a bunch of controversy around her, but what's interesting about her is, I mean, she was the first woman governor of Texas, and this wasn't a recent thing. This happens in 1924. 
That's a big deal. So her husband was the governor of Texas, and he gets impeached. Uh, and I didn't really get into the to the nitty-gritty about why he was impeached. But anyway, so, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, he gets impeached, and, and they're, they're going for another election, you know, trying to find another governor. So what does he do? He's like, hey, honey, you're going to run for governor. And she's like, all right. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they said. But anyway, I, he he puts her up there, and, and she wins, and she becomes the governor of Texas. And so, you know, again, there's tons of controversy surrounding him. Um, there's even a bunch of controversy surrounding her. Um, but apparently she had a good run, and uh, there are some good things uh, about her governorship. Um, she was very concerned about social and economic issues of the day, um, you know, and really tried to, you know, push some good things forward. Um, her husband apparently moved his desk into the governor's office, or I guess kept it in there, whatever the case may be. So he keeps it in there, and uh, he pretty much kind of runs everything. And she's just kind of a figurehead. But it did open the door for a lot of other women to really get into politics uh, and actually hold, you know, positions of power here in Texas. But I did find it funny with this one. One of the funny slogans that I found was that you're getting two governors for the price of one. Um, you know, since her husband was an impeached governor, why not, you know, go ahead and make it a little funny. So, all right. So next lady on our list was born Claudia Alta Taylor and was raised by a, a great and very influential family in Karnak, Texas. So when she was born, a friend said she is as pretty as a ladybird. And this nickname really stuck. So that's right, folks. If you know anything about Texas, we are talking about Lady Bird Johnson. I didn't even know her real name uh, until I found this. So she attends uh, UT Austin for a time, and that's where she meets her husband and future president Lyndon Baines Johnson, or LBJ for short. Uh, and they dated for only seven weeks before they finally get married. So... Um, LBJ and Lady Bird Johnson, which is also LBJ, spent five years in the White House. And while there, um, Lady Bird really expanded the role of First Lady. So it was just more than just, I guess, kind of this housewife, you know, good wife behind the good man kind of thing. Like she really takes this role and pushes it forward from what I can tell. And, you know, the First, the first Lady is really something, something to be proud of. So one of her biggest accomplishments was the Highway Beautification Act of 1965, and uh, which does a lot of beautification still to this day on, uh, you know, planting and wildflowers and stuff like that on the side of Texas highways. Um, but she is very often described as LBJ's closest advisor, confidant, and his strength. And uh, yeah, they really had a uh, they really had a great life together, from what I can tell. So next one is a, a social activist. Um, you know, there are quite a few from here in Texas, but this lady's name is Edna Gladney. She spent the majority of her life in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where she cared for a lot of homeless and underprivileged children. Um, she lobbied, um, one of the big things is she lobbied to have the word illegitimate resumed, or not resumed, removed from children's birth certificates because, you know, they had to prove who they were. 
um, you know, to get jobs and stuff. But if they were marked as illegitimate, I mean, that, that could really hold them back. And so she ended up, uh, I think there's a foundation, you know, for wayward Texas mothers. And um, there's like a birthing center named after her now. Um, but probably the most, I mean, wow, the most famous thing that I found was, was in her career, in her lifetime, she ended up finding homes, uh, I guess finding adoptions and homes for over 10,000 children. I mean, holy smokes, people. That's huge. So anyway, those, those are all a bunch of good, um, very good, uh, interesting, famous Texas women in history. But let's get into some other famous Texas women um, who led, you know, kind of a less than desirable life or career. Now, hold up, y'all. I'm not talking about, like, prostitutes or anything like that. So hold with me a little bit. Because um, I guess in, in my lifetime, I just hadn't realized that both of these ladies were from Texas. So the first one I did read about, um, we used to uh, go to Robbers Cave State Park every year um, <clears throat> for a family reunion, which is up outside of McAllister, Oklahoma, uh, actually in Wilberton, Oklahoma. And uh, there's lots of stuff about the outlaw Bell Star up there. But uh, Bell Star was better known as the Bandit Queen of Dallas. And she was legendary for her horse riding or equestrian skills. Um, she had some pretty blatant love affairs. Um, pretty outlandish and very public. And pretty much just for being an outlaw. Apparently, I mean, there, there weren't a whole lot of women that were outlaws. So she made a lot of money by singing and dancing in dance halls, which is a little risque. Uh, dealing in poker, which was, hmm, that's not good. Pretty, pretty risque for a lady of the day. But then also uh, trafficking stolen horses. So, yeah, she made a lot of money doing that stuff. Um, she was involved in a bunch of big robberies. And so you would think that she would, you know, run out of, time, uh, run out of town and, and hide out. Nope, she didn't run out of town. Uh, she didn't hang out on the down low. Like, she didn't care. <laughs> Whatever. Um, she even robbed, like, this really wealthy Oklahoma Cher uh, Cherokee Indian named Watt Grayson. And so, again, you would think that she would, you know, kind of hide out and lay low. Uh-uh. She goes back to Dallas where she was walking around in black velvet skirts and, and then a cartridge belt with two revolvers on her hips. Like, she was pretty blatant about it. Like, don't mess with Belle Star. So, one story that I found about how she dies, it says that she died in 1889, two days before her 41st birthday, uh, when she was ambushed while riding home from a neighbor's house. After being shot in the back several times, um, in the shoulder and in the face, she falls from her horse where she was shot again to make sure that she was dead. I mean, that's, that's at least one story. Um, but as I was researching this, I found uh, no one's really sure. There are actually several other stories about how she died, where she died, when she died. Um, and so actually it's officially listed, her, her death is officially listed as unsolved because they're not really sure. So I kind of thought that was interesting. So this famous Bell Star, you know, bandit queen of Dallas, nobody really knows what happened to her. And then the, the other one, 
you know, the <clears throat> the last one. So she famously wrote the words, Someday they'll go down together, they'll bury them side by side. To few it'll be grief, to law a relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. That's right, we're talking about Bonnie Parker. Bonnie Parker of uh, Bonnie and Clyde fame um, was from Rowena, Texas. And we all know about her and Clyde Barrow's two-year crime spree where they just raised, uh, I guess really just raised hell all across Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, New Mexico. Their big thing was knocking over grocery stores and filling stations. Um, they were definitely America's most wanted for a quick, you know, for for a while. Um, and really, it, it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, it, it kind of makes you wonder why i mean why she and clyde barrow decided to to run that life but she ended up dying at 23 years old and we all know about you know kind of the ambush and that uh really um you know i guess you can go see the car somewhere and i don't remember where but she lived a very short life but a really a, an interesting life indeed so you know so there's a whole bunch of really good famous texas women and uh, a couple of bad ones, just for good measure. So anyway, uh, that's my story. That's podcast number six. Thanks for listening in. I know we ran a little longer than my 30 minutes that I intended, but uh, remember it is sponsored by Miracle Mortgage. You can find me at themichaelmitchell.com. So again, if you know somebody that's looking to move to Texas or looking to move in Texas and is looking to buy a house anywhere in the state, Hot dog, just tell them I got them covered. Give me a shout at themichaelmitchell.com. We can do most everything online. I love helping people. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast on famous Texas women. Uh, And y'all remember the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. This is Once Upon a Time of Texas. Excuse me. Once Upon a Time in Texas. Y'all have a great week.